0: Need one of singer to sing a theme song?
1: Winston, Winston, no. Not that Copyright. One. Gee,
2: copyright. Oh, um,
0: but also, definitely keep it in. <laughs> no.
2: I don't know. Now all I've got is the bad pagan chant. We'll have to do. We all come from the goddess and around. My
1: favorite bad pagan chant is like an American one, and there's a recording of it on Spotify. And like they're super into it, and I think it's from the '90s. And they're like, East
2: wind blowing, lighting up my mind. Well, one of those is gonna stay in. We don't. It'll be a surprise which one.
3: All of them, except for the copyright one. Hail and welcome to Circle Talk, a podcast for seekers, initiates, and the curious by four Alexandrian witches with endless different opinions, we are your
0: hosts. Hi, I'm Peter. I'm a High Priest and Coven Leader from South Wales.
2: Hi, I'm G, a High Priestess and Coven Leader from the Boston area of Massachusetts. Hi, I'm
1: Josie, a High Priestess and Coven Leader near Melbourne, Australia.
3: And I'm James, a High Priest and Coven Leader from just outside New Orleans, Louisiana. And we are a podcast where we talk about Alexandrian witchcraft and explore differing opinions on how the Alexandrian tradition is practiced in various covens around the globe. Listeners are reminded, while we are initiates of the Alexandrian tradition, we only speak for ourselves and not for the tradition as a whole, which is an impossible thing to do. This is episode 13. If this is your first episode, welcome. You may want to take a moment to pause this and go back to listen to our introductory episodes, episode zero, introductions, and episode one, definitions. Or check them out after you enjoy this one. So today's topic will be sex, drugs, and rock and roll. There are a lot of rumors about what goes on in covens, the role of sex, and the use of minor-altering substances. We'll see if we can deconstruct some of these titillating stereotypes and more or less shine some light as to how they relate or how they might be used within the context of traditional Wicca. Now before we kick that off and delve into this there's a small passage from a book called The Alexander Sanders Lectures that I'm going to share. Throughout all records past times one reads of throughout the scriptures and books of wisdom of the beautiful and rare aromatics, oils, gums and perfumes which were burned in honor of the gods. The incense is a sacrificial offering today. To the gods in place of the burned flesh offerings it is used for purification of the magic circle which is the temple of the worshipers of the god and goddess the oil and perfumes enhance the natural fragrances of the naked bodies gathered together in the circle and do not kill sexuality as do the modern deodorant many of the perfumes and incenses can open the senses through smell Work upon the operator for his visions and meditations. Certain instances, along with certain flowers, can accentuate positions and postures which are used by the witches to penetrate deeper into the awareness and communion of the god and goddess. So with that said, who wants to jump in with the first
0: topic? I think I'll just jump back to the attention gain and what I said about... <laughs> the oils and the perfumes enhance the natural fragrance of the naked bodies gathered together in the circle and do not kill sexuality. I'm wondering if Alex really meant um, like the natural pheromones that people people give off um, or maybe just really smelly witches because incense hides that, you know, and as Alexandrians, we love the incense. Uh, yeah, I thought I'd kick you off with that.
1: like have a shower before you do your ritual as well and then you won't have any smelly witches.
0: This is true. I couldn't agree more. Definitely shower before ritual. I think sometimes you treat going into circle like going on a date, right? Like you're not going to show up to a date being all smelly, are you? You're going to have a shower. You're going to put some nice perfume on. It might be some patchouli in a carrier oil. I mean, mm-mm-mm. who doesn't love that patchouli? Do you <laughs> wear
1: patchouli
2: to dates?
0: I can neither confirm nor deny. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> a separate A separate episode is you know, ritual structure, but I teach my students like once temple is taken care of, like then you have to get clean. So like shower before ritual, or if that's not possible, you at least wash your hands, brushing your teeth. Like you're not going to go see the gods and be covered in like the daily grime, right? You want to approach ritual. If you're creating a sacred space, you want to have a body that's prepared to deal with a sacred space and feel clean. About five minutes into ritual, in August in the Northern hemisphere, that's all for naught because you're very sweaty again. But you should at least try.
1: Part of good magical hygiene is just like you hygiene. Well, so
3: witches count from zero. You know, you bring the space to zero and you start that way. Instead of saying one, two, three, it's at zero, one, two, three. It's a magical concept I was taught. And I like to roll with that and just remind them, hey, you need to start at zero too, and not just the space. So
0: I like that. That's the first time I'm hearing that. I like that.
3: So drug use and mind altering substances. Where does that play in?
0: I remember having a discussion once um in an initiate group with an initiate and um this initiate mentioned about drinking both red and white wine just before they enter the circle. And we we had a bit of a we had a go of it uh, just before we did one of our circles. Now I love I love wine. I love white wine, I love red wine not a big fan of rosé but you know um the the idea i think came from like the temple of the mother idea we've got the red light and the and the blue light i think it is um obviously you can't get blue wine so i think they might have substituted for white and then you drink white and then just before you go into circle you drink red um but obviously the whole point of using um alcohol just before you get into circle is just to kind of tip tip you into that space where you allow magic to happen and where you can suspend your, your disbelief. Um, yeah, we, we quite often will maybe have a glass of wine just before we get into circle. Um, and I suppose it's just that social aspect as well.
2: I, I agree. And I think that there is something to this. Uh, you could even associate this with like this idea of starting at zero, right? Like you have to enter circle with your mind wiped clean of the day. Like you can't carry all of your daily shit into circle with you. It makes it hard to stay focused. It makes it hard to do the work. It makes it hard to carry the energy. And, you know, it's really nice if we can be evolved enough humans to just do that through a quick meditative practice or by telling ourselves, okay, it's time to turn off the brain, or if we set up enough external signals. But um, the reality for a lot of us is that we need help moving into that space and letting go of our day to day our mundane lives and for a lot of us using wine or weed or anything like that before circle just helps to i describe it as giving you space it's not putting me into a an altered space i'm not getting that i'm not getting trashed but in the same way that if you're anxious and you take an anxiety medication if you're You know, dealing with the hustle and bustle of every day, and you have a glass of wine, it just gives you enough space to then pull yourself into the ritual mindset that you need to be in. You just need somebody to like give you a boost up, if that makes sense. Um, So I'm a big fan of the use of having a glass or two of wine, or having a, it's legal where I am, thankfully, but having like a little bit of weed before you get started. You don't want to be inept in ritual, but being able to step outside of your life is super important.
1: I think before we go any further, though, we should probably point out that like everything we're going to discuss today is not something that is 100% expected of all practitioners. Absolutely. um, And especially not of seekers. Yes. Um, I myself um, am a very cheap drunk (laughs) and I don't always or don't often um, drink wine or anything else before ritual because I feel it, it actually messes with my concentration and my focus and it, I, I've been in situations where it has been really handy especially in quite if you know a ritual is going to be like quite intense or quite long um but generally personally it's it's not something I do until afterwards
2: yeah I've known I've circled with an extremely effective high priestess who does not ever consume alcohol in fact we always um We always, when we circle with her, keep non-alcoholic beverage for cakes and wine available for her. And I've spoken to other coven leaders who have said, um, you know, the same thing, Josie, not just that they don't, that they choose not to, but like they don't allow anybody to consume any alcohol before ritual because they don't want anybody going in with any kind of an altered mindset except for what ritual is providing on its own. And I think obviously that's also like a perfectly valid, um, philosophy. And this comes down to, again, picking the coven that works for you, right? If, if alcohol or drug consumption is problematic for you, something you're really uncomfortable with, then you need to work with a coven who's going to, you know, at the very least be understanding and accommodating of that, or a coven who matches your philosophy, you know, similarly, if you find that that's something you really need, you need to find yourself in a coven that works with you around, you know, incorporating, marijuana or whatever into your practice in a healthy, um, moderate like moderate way.
3: Well that's the thing, isn't it? Is every coven's different in the way we practice the whole host of practices, you know, as we approach our ritual. And that includes the use of wine, alcohol, other substances, etc Um, I've been in covens that use more wine than other covens. Um I, I one coven it was an expectation that you showed up with a bottle of wine just for you in addition to what we had for ritual
2: Proper
0: alexandrians
3: was well, that you... was
2: that our shared upline james
3: no, <laughs> no oh no that was the gardenerian family oh excuse me Oh um, but,
2: but it does point out that like all these jokes we made about make about alexandrians and wine is just like everything else a joke you know and and it's not you know there are plenty of alexandrians who do not consume alcohol and that is fine.
3: Yes, and sometimes you'll have recovering alcoholics. And so the the covenant needs to take that into consideration, whether it's a member who enters recovery after already being a member of the coven or you're looking at new members, et cetera. So it's just like you said, seekers find the coven that's for you. If alcohol is concerned, make sure you bring it up. I know our current seeker doesn't consume often. Um but that's okay. I, I don't necessarily need said seeker to pound wine continuously. I just need the altered state to be able to take place when we enter ritual.
2: So this is like, we've been discussing the use of mind altering substances ahead of ritual, right? To as part of like the preparation, but. One can also set up rituals or magic or witchcraft where you're using mind-altering substances within the context of the ritual for a set purpose. Um, and so it might be worth discussing a little bit of that. Like we on very rare occasion, we have a right to Dionysus and we bring bottles of wine in for that ritual and consume them throughout because the whole point is that by the end of the rite, we have an ecstatic dance, which we'll talk about. And you want to be in a very ecstatic Headspace, plus if you're doing a rite to um, for us, if it, it feels like you should have wine. So, you know, we will drink wine throughout that ritual, but what are some other ways that people have done this or have heard about people using it in their, in their witchcraft or in their ritual space? Nobody wants to be incriminating at this point in time, it seems. This is going well. Well, <laughs> I mean, I know for a fact that there are people who choose to use mind-altering substances in ritual when they're doing prof- prophetic work. Um, if you go back to, like, the Oracle of Delphi, right, we suspect that the Oracle was placed over fumes that induced a mind-altering trance so that she could produce Apollo's prophecies from an altered state. Um,
1: I've heard of people who used burn different herbs on their bonfires outdoors, um, so mind-altering state for different reasons, often to induce trance like
0: that. I've been making um, kiffy following an online recipe that I found I'll post the I'll post the YouTube videos of the ones that I watched in our in our notes um and doing some research around the ingredients there's there's discussion amongst academics that maybe one of the ingredients was actually marijuana um because it created that mind-altering substance and they were there were three incenses I think that the Egyptians um that the Egyptians burned. Now, I'm probably I might get this the wrong way around. I think it was mer in the morning, frankincense in the afternoon and then kiffy in the in the evening. And obviously, I think one of the main reasons for adding possibly what might have been marijuana is just to get that extra layer of um, being able to commune with the gods a little bit easier. I think sometimes our minds get in the way of what could be effective magic and using these mind altering substances or using wine. I think just allows you to open up a little bit better in order to come in with the gods and have that connection with the gods directly.
2: Yeah. I think it's reasonable to approach this from an academic standpoint, right? We are a hundred percent not encouraging anybody to go about experimenting with, the use of mind-altering nope. <laughs> substances in their ritual or their witchcraft, that is that is not what we are encouraging at all. But academically, it's interesting as people who practice witchcraft and people who seek out trance states, it's interesting to look throughout history and at different cultures, the way that people have done this historically and the different means in which it's done that. And one of those is the use of mind-altering substances. And you know, maybe now since since we're all being a little bit shy about discussing this, it is worth moving into some of the other ways that we can um, induce trance in ritual uh, that are less concerning. I think
0: just before we move on, I'd like to just drop. You know, th- there's also other herbs that people can use. You know, we talk about the the witches' Sabbath or the witches' Sabbath and fly into the Sabbath. And what does that actually mean? Well, research shows us that a lot of um, a lot of this comes from the use of herbs from the Solanaceae family, including belladonna and henbane. And before people start clutching their pearls and say that's poisonous, alcohol is also poisonous. Nicotine is also poisonous, also from the Solanaceae family, including tomatoes and um, potatoes. So yes, maybe a little bit less of a dose, um, but also the damage is in the dose. If you take, you know, you, you you can safely use belladonna you can safely use henbane um just as you can safely use alcohol you know if you overdo it then yeah that's that's where the problem starts but you know witches would have made ointments or salves or oils with these herbs smear them on their body and then transdermal effect would have taken place where you would have got those alkaloids um but yeah there are also other herbs that people can use as well just you know you research into them safely
2: there's an eggplant joke in here somewhere, but I don't want to look for it too hard. Um, yes, yeah, somebody posted recently on Reddit in one of the reddits like, I'm looking for a um, a trustworthy supplier of flying ointment. and somebody else posted there's no such thing as a trustworthy supplier of flying ointment. In other words, like if you're looking on Etsy and somebody's selling flying ointment, like I wouldn't I wouldn't just buy that from a random person on the internet. you know, that's not a thing. so um, again, like this is all like very much something to be considered with great care yeah. and and one's own study and
0: yeah obviously yeah. we're all adults you know listeners you're more than adults all adults here yeah, you know you do your own research um Kobe Michael has just written a book recently about the poison path and the use of um poison as medicine as well so if readers are interested I'll read us if listeners are interested I'll drop that into the notes as well um it's it's something that i'm working with at the moment which is the poison path and utilizing um from the solanaceae family within a ritual context you know whether that is using fly ointments um maybe to connect with a specific deity or using them in an incense to create to create that effect um it's something that i'm really interested in at the moment but yes do your own research you know you're not children you are adults
3: I will just add that, please don't use the fact that some witches use these things as enhancers to ritual induction as an excuse to go get your high on. That's, right. That's not the point. That's not what nope. we're doing ritual. And if you find yourself in that space, it is time to cut these practices mm. and to find a different method of getting mentally where you need to be. So that's that's my last little waiver how well how else can we get there
0: i know we also go on sorry james
3: no it's fine i know that uh a moment ago g was talking about ritual for dionysus where wine helps you get there but so does dance and that's using two different ways of trans induction or being ecstatic in the moment to enhance different parts of the ritual so how do y'all use dance
0: so within a within a traditional context there are there's there's a certain dance that we're taught as initiates when we're raising energy, which I think works really well. I'm trying to kind of skirt around it without giving away too much information, but yeah, we use dance within ritual context in order to move energy, build energy, and then it it culminates as well with with that with that direction of the energy um we haven't done a lot of um, ecstatic dancing or um, any other type of dancing, but there was an event that I went to um, last Halloween or last Sawin and there was a workshop where we used dance. And it was, it was interesting to look at some of the dances that possibly the New Forest Cavern used to use in a ritual context. Um, whether or not we resurrect those is, is, another, is another podcast probably. But yeah, dance is something that witches do. We love to dance in the circle. We love to dance around the circle as well. And I'm looking forward to practicing more dancing. Practicing more dancing does that make sense in a sort of context?
1: Practicing dancing just reminds me of like you know those
2: footprint things you stick on the floor with the numbers. You can gonna, get some of those, set up those. for you. Yeah.
0: yeah.
2: <laughs> I mean, I think again, you know, academically speaking, from a religious studies perspective. Although now I'm using James's lines, you know, dance has been seen historically as a way to raise energy and for people to move into a trance state. There's something about, and we'll get to this too, uh, when we talk about repetitive movement, but there's something about um, rhythmic movement, working in a group, sharing energy. Usually the background music is very rhythmic also. Um, that can really alter one's sort of like heartbeat and induce, like move one into Um, more of an altered trance state. Um, And then as an ecstatic practice too, like we know, you know, people I'm sure have been in situations where they've been at a club or been out and dancing and it was a good night, right? Like it just felt like you were in a, like a really great space with your friends. It felt special. The energy was really good. Um, And that's, you know, outside the context of having ritual with that goal and that mindset. So Used within ritual, I think it can just be particularly powerful with a group of people that you trust, where you can sort of like let go um, and experience that flow of energy.
3: Those club people are definitely raising energy. They just need someone to then harness and direct it because they're they're whipping it up. We we do a little bit of dancing, uh, not a whole lot. Still a, a young, small, growing coven, but some of the covens I've been with more so than than others. My first coven had members with mobility issues and so we we tailored our practices more around some of the other ways to do trance induction but it's not to say that we don't dance or haven't danced it's just you tailor what your craft is to the local area and who your members are
2: and um going along with dance at least in terms of like the use of beats or rhythm or music would be the use of chanting or call and response um, which my family uses very frequently. This is a really heavy practice for us. this is we often chant deity names um, as a regular practice. We often use mantras or um, ohms or any sort of like vowel sound to help raise energy and direct energy because the voice, feels, I think a lot of us are, are musically inclined in the family as it is, but the voice feels like a very easy energy to direct because it is coming out through a singular point where you can feel it in your chest and then moving it forward feels um, like a very easy, natural thing to do. Um, So this is something that's very common for us.
3: I'm going to say that we probably have that in
2: common as well.
3: We, we use plethora of mantras, although that's not what we call them, that come from my my first upline, as well as decades of material copied into various bosses or grimoires and passed to us. And then we keep our own separate collection. You also gotta remember my wife was a music major um, before becoming a music teacher and I met her. And so we need a chant and there's not one in existence. 10 minutes later, we, we have a chant that's pretty sound and does what we need it to do.
2: We need your wife to write us a theme.
3: So much work. I have to ask her. I don't know if I have that kind of effort in me.
2: One thing, my high priestess is, is like very big on. Um she also she also comes from like a choir background. Several of us come from like choir backgrounds in the family. And so she's very big on like making sure we all know how to chant together and like people know how to stay on their note and like people don't get too excited and like raise their volume outside of the chorus, you know, so that things get um too messy for her um but one of the things that she had as practice was um krishna das who's a a vocalist who does um chants and kirtan chants from uh like hindu practice um and releases cds of them so you can listen or listen on spotify or whatever um has these really great call and response um chants and so call and response is another really good way um in circle to raise energy especially if you're doing spell casting or spellcraft and you want to help keep everybody sort of intent focused and direct the energy in a specific way using um using a call and response allows most of the people in circle to sort of let go and just listen and repeat and feel the energy and just one person who's directing things to have to really be on top of what are we saying where are we in the script how's the rhythm going and stuff like that um which can be super effective for um doing group work all right so we've
3: Talked a bit about drugs and dance and chanting, and I know you very briefly mentioned that there's repetitive movement as part of dance, but it's it's also related. So I would like to, to touch on that a bit. We we do this one a lot: swaying, rocking, use of mudras. And a lot of that is because of my own personal idiosyncrasies with the craft. When when I was a a young witchling, going through my paces. I just found that part of the various corpus of practices something that I was able to latch onto very easily in my personal practice um, because trying to do some of the group dances alone is just not going to cut it. But rocking, swaying, and some of these other things, very easy to do alone. And so that's just overbleed from my personal practice back into the way some of the the coven functions. And, And that's just expected.
0: Yeah, we'll use mudras as well um, during ritual, especially when we are invoking the gods. Yeah, there are, there are certain types of mudras that we will use um, and mostly we will use them when we are invoking the gods. But you're right, it's something that I latched onto as well quite quickly because it's something that, that like G was saying, with the with the voiceless, a focal point, it's also a focal point when you're using mudras and it just adds that extra layer as well. Comes back
1: to that idea of rhythm, right? It's just another form of rhythm, the form of patterns. The human mind really likes patterns um, and repetition. And it's it's one way to really kind of trick yourself into a, a trance state or an altered state very, very easily with any kind of rhythm. That's everything we've talked about so far.
0: Yeah. And it quickly creates that group mindset as well. If everybody or nearly everybody's doing the same thing over and over and over again, it creates that egregore
2: and that group mind.
1: I think of that scene in Avatar <laughs> when they're all like swaying. And,
2: yeah. yeah, we've we've all been in that circle, <laughs> or or at that at that pagan event.
1: I just um, can't make my hair join on to someone else's hair to no. have like that experience. I'll get them. yet,
2: yet, yes, it is yet. It's wow. a fourth degree secret. <laughs> um, there is like the swaying and the rocking. I also is, it's soothing. And I think people who have had to develop self-soothing skills know this. Um, And so just that rhythmic motion, I don't know if it sort of harkens us back to the ocean or if it's got like a sort of like being in the mother's womb feel to it, but swaying and rocking back and forth are very soothing motions. And I find myself doing them anytime you place a small mammal- be it human or feline or rabbit, whatever in my arms, I start swaying back and forth, back and forth. Uh, when I'm teaching, like even my students in my regular job at the front of the room, if I'm doing like a long reading or I find that I find like swaying back and forth as if I was doing like some exposition in ritual. Um, but because it's soothing in that way, it also helps to relax you into the trance state. Um, and I think if you're if you're not sure if you've never tried it, um, one of my students was asking me, like, how do I circle dance by myself? And I said, well, you can spin in a circle, but you could also just try swaying in place and see how that feels to you, because it might, you know, help help you to get to that same space.
1: I was going to add to this. Um, I find I can't do this, especially like the the swaying type stuff, unless I'm with people I really gel with and trust and and have worked with before. I've been in public rituals where they've done swaying. And in my opinion, it went on for much too long.
2: And Mm -hmm. I found myself being like, oh, we're still, we're still doing this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is me with dance. I can't do dance for raising energy or ecstatic dance unless I'm with people that I really, really trust. And then it also helps if we turn off all the lights and I close my eyes so I don't have to think about the fact that I'm dancing in front of other people. I mean, it's just a comfort level thing, right? And uh, like how much you're willing and able to let go, which is another reason why coven work is so helpful because when you've been working with the same group of people for a while, it makes it much easier to let go with them. So similar to repetitive movement is physical stimulus. Because you've got that same like sort of rhythmic thing. So if you don't want to or can't move your body, even just doing like repeated tapping um, or people sometimes use body modification for this purpose as well to get that same sort of physical sensation to move somebody out of their mind, I guess, would be one way to put it. I don't know why Josie's making it. is laughing. Okay,
0: um, why are you laughing? Uh, no reason. <laughs> no reason. It's been a long morning it's two o'clock here but it's still been a long morning was
1: it physical (laughs) stimulus is that what's happened here
0: (laughs) that's what got me
1: (laughs) (laughs) we haven't even got up to sex yet uh
0: i know i'm not going to join in that part you know that right (laughs) because i'm just going to be on mute laughing (laughs) i know i think you know i i know that the the faras talk a lot about you know putting a blindfold over an initiate. um uh, you know who's going to be and 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 I would be initiate's eyes and binding them and I will never confirm nor deny whether that happens within traditional wicker. Um, I don't know whether we have talked about whether we spoke about this on a different podcast. Um, but yeah, you know that that binding or the sensory deprivation allows your other senses to heighten. And if you're being blindfolded, you might hear better. You might hear sounds better. If um if you're being bound, you might be able to see better, or again, you might be able to feel uh, different places of your body which you're not necessarily always aware of. Um, Josie, stop laughing. You're gonna <laughs> you're gonna make me go off track. I think we should keep all this bit in as well. <laughs> and that's what I got up to. That was that was my contribution to physical stimulus. But that's
3: why a well-versed coven will have a plethora of practices at their disposal.
1: I had my outer court over here the other day and um, we were looking at some different witchy books from different periods of time and talking about how this is a living tradition and things change and blah, blah, blah. And um, Buckland's Big Blue came out and that, like, quite upsetting image that upset me at age 15 when I first picked up this book of, like, the whole body, like, sensory deprivation, like, like, bag.
0: What, you got to wrap them the in a blanket cradle? and hang them. Yeah, yeah I... I think it's called the witch's cradle.
1: Yeah, no.
0: Strong feelings.
1: Strong
2: feelings,
0: <laughs> no. The witchcraft burrito.
2: Um,
0: well, then what th- else? What
3: else do we have?
2: I think at in, our the disposal? Same, in the same vein as sensory deprivation is breath work, because sometimes with breath work, we want to hold our breath for certain counts, release our breath for certain counts, um, hyper focus on the feeling of the movement of the breath or in um, raising energy with our breathing, feeling heat with our breathing. So there's a lot of different kinds of breathing techniques. And by a lot, I mean like probably hundreds. Um, the ones people are the most familiar with is like box breathing, where you know you inhale for four, hold for four, exhale slowly for four, hold for four, and just keep repeating that as super effective at moving you because it gives it's practicing mindfulness by hyper focusing on your breath and again removing you from that mundane state of mind giving you something else to think about and moving you into more of an altered or at least just not not distracted um by life place
1: and that's across lots of different belief systems lots of different cultures Um, it's almost universal we know that changing the way you breathe or noticing you breathe is going to change the way that you think or act in some way or feel
0: in my head, I've got um there's a Netflix series about some videotapes. And towards the end, it's it, it's supposed to do with like this cult who is trying to bring back um bring back a deity, bring back something. And there's this one scene where they are all breathing really rapidly and it's like <sighs> in order to, to kind of hyperventilate, you know, to get them into that that state of mind. And um I looked at it and thought that's maybe something that i'm going to look into because we even though we do some breath work and we we look at you know sacred breathing and why breath is important um i think it's something that i could definitely look look at more in my in my personal practice as well as well as a coven setting
2: I think just like as a last thing in terms of trans induction, we can note visual stimulus. Some people find it super powerful to do fire staring, pendulum staring, water gazing, watching incense smoke. I mean, for some people they use this as like divinatory techniques, but for other people it's just, again, providing an alternate stimulus for your mind to focus on so that you can let go of everything else and move into that altered um. Space and you could do the same thing with ocean sound CDs or like whale songs or um, whatever, right? But it's just about that alternate stimulus.
0: I have yet to play a whale CD in Circle and I'm not about to start. <laughs> I'm going to veto that right away. If somebody brings, like, oh, I have a playlist, I'm gonna, I, I want to listen to it first because <laughs> I'm not having whale sounds in the middle of Circle.
1: I met a guy at a public circle once who told me he had started a, his own form of Wicca called Orca Wicca. And the whales played like large parts, and I regret to this day that I didn't ask him more questions about it
0: because. Oh no! Oh no! I
1: can only imagine.
3: I have been wounded, but with that said, um, the title of the episode is "Sex, Drugs, and Rock and Roll," and we've said nary a word about sex, so.
0: And I'm not about to that start either.
3: <laughs> oh no! That's that's the next thing we're talking about, so we'll let you start.
0: Oh no! The ball's or- in my court. I honestly (laughs) I don't have a lot to say about this um when people have sex okay you sitting comfortably everybody are you listening I'm about to tell you a story (laughs) you know like in all seriousness when people have sex energy is created energy is made like we know that and sometimes people sometimes witches or or magical practitioners or occult practitioners ceremonial magicians all these people they will they will use that energy th- th- that is released at the height of sex and they will use it to as as well as a gift to the gods for their spell work um you know i've lost my train of thought like if if, if we think about you know one of the reasons maybe that the that the karma sutra was made it is all about being with that other person it is all about that energetic spiritual connection which practitioners will sometimes use in a witchcraft or magical context you know with that comes comes this you know the sacred union of the god and goddess as well if if you're working male and female if you're not even working male and female there you know there are a plethora of ways um but but looking at it from a god and goddess you have that melding of of energy and especially if you are in a working partnership as well. If, if, if you're a high priest and a high priestess and, you, and, and you're in that working partnership, there are things that, that you can do in order to enact that sacred right, in order to enact that um, union between the god and goddess, which, which we see at certain sabbats and at certain celebrations. Um, but that doesn't mean that you can't practice sex magic or energy raising with sex on your own. And now I'm gonna pass it to someone else.
3: <laughs> well, it's like it's like drug use. Is it's gonna your bang for your buck is gonna vary from coven to coven a lot. And let's be very specific. And no one is going to be expected when you join a coven no. to participate in any sexual activity no. at all. Um, but it is a form of witchcraft that exists. And as witches, we like to. Play in different, you know, playgrounds sometimes, and to enhance our practices. And this is a area of practices that can very be very enhancing in personal practice, um, and can lend itself towards group practice, but not in oh, let's all go have an orgy because that's that's not it at
2: all or maybe it is it for some people but again find the coven that works for you i mean That's that would fine. not be what i would call it, consider a typical or necessarily traditional practice not that there's anything wrong with that um but right so sex is energy as energy raising in that context is very um is just going to work differently for different people
1: it kind of comes back to what you were saying about um dancing and and the fact that so many people seek it out because it feels good um, sex is the same which isn't to say that everybody uses it in circle and yeah just to underline what James was saying like if you join a coven or ask about joining a coven and you're expected to have sex
2: as part of that run away um fast and call fast, the fast yes mm. absolutely um that having been said you know we come back to this point about consenting adults they're consenting people who as consenting adults have made this part of their practice and people who are interested in using this as part of their practice. Um, and it's also worth noting that sex can be, um, you know, a sacred act as well, not just for the purpose of energy raising, but also for sacred worship, right? It's not, it is no secret that the charge of the goddess says all acts of love and pleasure are my rituals. That's, that is a googleable information. Um, and sex is part of that. Sex ideally is an act of at least pleasure. And uh, for some people, ideally an act of love and pleasure. And so, you know, Wicca, I think, traditional Wicca and little W neo Wicca is very much a religion of life of of worshiping and appreciating all of the different parts of life we're not hyper focused on what comes after we're not hyper focused on living a good life now so that we can have rewards after we die right we are interested in living and sex is a big part of living
1: well put um is someone going to talk about masturbation I want to talk about sky cloud
2: well I'll just I will just add (laughs) I guess that if we're talking about sex as energy raising and if we're talking about acts of love and pleasure as, as rituals of worship, then masturbation falls under both of those categories. Right? You can raise energy through masturbation and you can um, raise um, certainly dedicate masturbatory acts as an act of love and pleasure, self-love and pleasure. Um, I don't see why not. And I think I've definitely sp- heard people speak about using that, especially people who are devotees of specific deities.
1: There's a self-pleasure ritual in Jason Mankey's book, Just Horned God, and I wasn't expecting when I read it.
0: Um, I, I really have didn't. that book and I haven't got to that part yet.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it just surprised me, all right? Not a prude much, but <laughs> it just it gave me a, a surprise. Um, anyway, a lot of people kind of conflate the whole idea of sky clad or or going like unclothed to ritual um with this idea that you're all going to suddenly jump into a wild all and sex and it's worth mentioning again i know i've mentioned it before but um sky has nothing to do with sex
0: no it's about it's about being free you know and, and and it's about it's it's also like that leveler taking it back to zero everybody looks the same well you know what i mean without clothes on like there's no ego kind of thing there's no special robes there's you know there might be the odd piece of jewelry worn by certain members of, of the coven um but yeah being skyclad has nothing to do with with sex you know
3: well i, I think on that you should also we should mention that skyclad's different than being naked it's it's yes. a different thing and i know in western society we like to tie nudity automatically to to sexuality but Sky Club practice isn't about any of that. It's shitting the ego, taking off the world's bounds, and it's freeing. It's just what we do.
0: It's also really safe if you've got a lot of candles, naked flames around the place. I'm almost positive we've mentioned this in the past. You know, you do not want the long wizard sleeves as you're bending over, no pun intended, as you're bending over the altar, you know, which might catch fire. There's other things that can catch fire, you know, in a ritual setting, not just the wizard sleeves um or the robes. But yeah, let's let's move on.
3: <laughs> I'm just gonna say the first rule of witch club is don't burn the witch.
2: Right. I think you missed the opportunity for a no pun intended after naked flames. I was gonna say, or do you mean sky clad <sighs> flames?
0: Oh, I did. You're right. From now on, I will refer to them as sky clad flames. Much better. Because even though even though we might dress the candles with oils and herbs, the flame itself is sky clad. Oh, Very epiphany. nice. <laughs> so what about rock and roll?
2: Love it. Led Zeppelin, get on it. Some of this we covered with talking about chanting, right? Um, so we, we covered some of this in trance induction, but it belongs here as well, that the use of like music, harmonics, um, drums, rhythms, can definitely be useful in terms of enhancing that trance state and enhancing magical experiences yeah anything with rhythm right um this is where
1: drums come in this is where noisemakers and rattles and sistrum sistra sistrums sistrums come in all of these things i've yet to see a kazoo in ritual prove me wrong listeners
2: i could see we have like an when people buy new homes or move into new homes, we do an exorcism, right? Sometimes just uh, to clear the space. And that generally involves banging pots and pans and rattling cistrums. And I could a hundred percent see sending the kids around with kazoos as well. So you're generating enough noise to like chase the bad spirits out. So I think kazoos could could theoretically be used in that context.
3: As a young pagan child, I was handed a kazoo at more than
0: one ritual. (laughs) So I've been there, done that.
1: Something, something, element of air. Yes.
0: And also just to uh, get the practical magic reference in, the kids also play kazoos in practical magic. Very but true.
1: in that scene in the morning when the kid is playing the kazoo and there's a close-up, she's playing it the wrong way around and it wouldn't be making any noise. It
0: really uh, bugs me. I've never noticed that. I'm going to have to, there you go. oh no. There's an
1: Easter egg that you have to, you have to watch it again now, Peter. Oh
0: no, wow. I'm going to have to watch it again. Oh no. Wow.
2: <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, in addition to rhythm and noisemakers and drumming you can also use more lyrical melodies so people can sing there's some like really nice um songs and chants that people have written as pagan music that you can certainly include as worship um around the harvest time we sing um
3: the wickerman song
2: we do not sing the wickerman song uh give me a minute i'm gonna come back (laughs) On Ballycord? We do, of course. Um, no, it's a hymn, it's a Christian hymn, and we've altered it so that it's so much better. I'm gonna find it. Just go ahead. I don't know, talk.
1: Um, you could also use recorded music in your rituals. And I I had feelings about this for a while, but when I saw it done well, um, my mind was changed. I think it's nice. And um, a lot of the old pagan books that I love are all like, you will need a CD player and this CD. It's
2: like So this is us. We use a soundtrack for every single ritual. And those soundtracks have been put together from like recorded cassette tapes in the 70s and 80s that we have digitized and spent time like looking a lot. It's a lot of venue. I'm not going to pretend it's not. But because we've been doing it for so long, like every single Yule ritual I've ever attended has been the same soundtrack, every single sound, every single initiation I've ever attended is the same soundtrack. And because of that, it's actually super effective. The music's been like very carefully picked to not be distracting, to not have any lyrics in it so that there's nothing that sort of like pulls you out of that headspace. Um, and it just creates very effective background noise for us. Um, we also have started adding other songs for pre-ritual so like I always play here comes the sun before we start spring equinox ritual um and it just like puts me in such a joyous mood and um we play fields of gold like before autumn equinox um and that before llamas as well right and we play um of course, we incorporate John Pond barley corn and uh, solstice bells before Yule ritual. I mean, it just, these are things that are before ritual when we're just sort of trying to like relax and getting to the mindset, but they set the tone. And again, like these songs become triggers for moving us into ritual space. The song I was thinking of is Harvest Home. So we've rewritten Harvest Home, which is like a very typical Protestant hymn. Um, into a pagan hymn that we sing, starting at Lamas through Sáwin, um, and it's already pretty pagany, you know. Like, and but we say like, "Earth, our mother, doth provide for our wants to be supplied." Um, yeah, fire the- dance do a version with the same lyrics. Uh, do they? Yeah, hmm. I wonder which one came first. Then, hard to say. Mm, but, um, but yeah, so there's a lot of really good music out there that can help, you know, elevate the worship. I think. It's a kind of different thing than the rhythm that's trans inducing, but it elevates the worship part of our rituals, um, and builds community and sets the sort of tone as well. Um, But then there's the
0: flip. Oh, go on, G. Sorry. No, no, go. I was just going to say, I think on the flip side as well, on 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 the other side of the coin, music is good, but also there are there are times in ritual where you you are silent, you have contemplation, you know, when the goddess is speaking or when the gods are speaking through um, their vessel high priestess, high priest, whatever. Um, those moments of, of silence are also as important, I think, as having music, whether that's music to dance to, whether that's background music. Um, I think that silence is also important.
3: I don't think I could agree more. If you want an empty space to be filled, it must be an empty space, you know, empty the cup so that that which is poured forth can fill it to the brim. Um, this can extend beyond just virtual use you know, sometimes when you're driving the car turn all the music off and just allow your thoughts to roam uninterrupted you know so yes silence and you got to be comfortable with yourself
2: i think that moves us out of rock and roll and there, thus we have covered our um sex and drugs and rock and roll albeit somewhat out of order um but before we wrap up, it's probably a good time to insert yet another caveat into this episode, which is, which of these things should neophyte seekers and beginners try or be expecting to try?
0: None of them.
1: <laughs> yeah, none of them. You shouldn't be expected
0: to do any of these
1: things. And I don't think all witches and all covens do all
0: of these things at once. Certainly not. I think so- if you if you go ahead and, and you do do them as a, as a personal practice, then that's a personal choice but seekers and neophytes shouldn't be expected uh, to do any of this you know if you want to if you want to practice sex magic or if you want to you know drink or get high before your own personal rituals then fine but you know that's that's not part and parcel of that of that of that seeking of that neophyte journey necessarily
2: I mean, I will say, I think being open is important. So some of this stuff that is harmless, like singing, like chanting, like if you provided that you don't have mobility issues, dancing or swaying or whatever, you know, I think if you find yourself uh, seeking with a coven or working with a group and find yourself saying no to everything that the coven suggests, especially things that are not, that are maybe asking you to step outside like a small mental comfort zone, but are, you know, not potentially physically concerning like we're not talking sex we're not talking body modification I'm not talking about alcohol and drug use but if you're like not willing to chant with the coven if you can't find yourself willing to open up enough to try singing along or to try moving in circle again assuming you don't have mobility issues with that coven then you probably haven't found the right people for you because you're not able to open up and trust them enough I think you know part of part of seeking and being willing to join a coven is understanding what is expected of you and finding if you're willing to do that or not. This comes up a lot with skyclad, right? People are like I shouldn't have to be expected to be skyclad. You're not. You are nobody is forcing you to be skyclad, but nobody's forcing you to seek in a btw context either. And so, you know, that is an expectation once you're initiated most covens at least at some point you will have to be skyclad and if all you can say is i am never going to do that and i think it's wrong that they're asking that of me eventually then you know you're not seeking in the right tradition but other stuff like i really do not like chanting i am really bad at it it does not work for me it takes me out of it it it, it grounds me more than it elevates me then that's just a, a matter of like finding a different coven right but certainly the stuff like anything sex and drugs that you're not comfortable with absolutely move in the other direction and find a group that's practicing in a way that's um feels safer for you
1: it comes back to what we've said about being a beginner and being a beginner in a coven doesn't mean you're a beginner at being an adult with autonomy absolutely so I
3: think that about brings us to the end of the episode and today we talked a lot about various ways and means of inducing trance and some of those ways can be controversial, such as the use of wine, alcohol, drugs, sex, etc. Um, we've also talked about the less controversial things, such as music, silence, and ritual, and chanting, drumming, etc. And we've tossed in a healthy dose of, well, I think a healthy dose of warnings and considerations for seekers. Don't just roll in and let your autonomy go. It is your authority. Keep it. So with all that said, uh, energy is universal and it's pervasive. And people reference and think about it all the time. Not necessarily always in those terms, but we we do. In different cultures, ages, religious uses have different words for it. Energy, power, feeling, prana, chi so on and so forth. As the saying goes, there are many paths up the mountain. You don't need to be a witch to raise or use energy. You know, we we talked about dances at clubs. Well, there are places and people that don't go, you know, you don't have to go just because the energy feels weird. Well, the same applies. Or when two people are, are fighting and that feels weird. Well that's that's the same idea we're getting at, but we're purposely crafting and molding that feeling, that use of energy. So thank you for listening. As a reminder, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook as circle talk for witches. That's four as in the number. My cats joining along. Twitter as circle for witches, or email us at circletalkforwitches@gmail.com. at gmail.com. If you have any questions, queries, thoughts, or ideas for future discussions, please do get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. From all of us at Circle Talk, Merry Meet, Merry Part, and Merry Meet again.